Welcome to another episode of Beyond Dollars and Cents. My name is Dr. Lyle Bolin, and I'm a financial advisor at Allen & Company. Glad to have you along for the ride today. I want to start off with having you stop and think about your once-in-a-lifetime experience. And was it the only one you ever had? And you think you're never going to have another one. You know, I think it's a lot to do with your mindset. If you have a positive attitude on thinking about how life is going to treat you and how you're going to treat life, I think you'll find a lot of quote-unquote once-in-a-lifetime experiences. I've got a background in finance and math, and so I tend to think things in terms of numbers. But I also think about how people behave and how psychology is. But, you know, every time you make a decision, it's yes or no. I had to program computers in the old days to where it was either zero or one. The switch was on, the switch was off. And everything you do, you're making that decision as you go forward. So I want to give you an example, 50-year-old one, but an example of how a mindset affected me in the moment. Okay, so we're going to go way back. And I was running track as a senior in high school. And I actually made the state championship in the quarter-mile run. This is before meters. This was the old-fashioned 440-yard dash. And I had just barely qualified for state, got there, didn't win, had my best time ever. At that time, it was like 52 seconds and something. Not that that matters to you at all, but it was a really good time for me, all right? And then there were three of us that were graduating together that were best friends, little, little school, 19 in my graduating class, all right? And we wanted to keep running. And so at Drake University, I grew up in Iowa, in Drake University, they had the best track in the entire state. And in late May, they were going to have an AAU track meet. And so the three of us decided to go to that and run in our best events. Mine was the quarter mile. So I'm getting there, and all of a sudden, I notice as we're warming up, I recognize one of the other people that's there to run. And it happened to be Bruce Jenner, who at that time had graduated, just graduated at Graceland College, which is also in Iowa, and he was in his training phase getting ready for the decathlon in the Nationals. He ended up making it in 72. He actually won the gold in 76. Anyway, he's there, and I think, wow, this is neat. I, this, this guy's, I've never, this is great to meet him, 1971. And now, all of a sudden, my race comes up, and he's in it. And I'm going, oh, my God. I've, I'm just, so now I've, I've got a new goal. My mindset is I'm going to stay as close to him as long as I can. Okay. <clears throat> I have to interrupt here. And and people don't know, but, yes, they left the radio station uh, door open, and I snuck in. This is Robin, <laughs> the director of marketing at Allen & Company. So let me just get up to speed here. Sure. You are just doing a high school thing before college, yep. after graduation, yep. just because you love to run. God bless you. There's always people like you that just love to run. And you end up at a track meet where Bruce Jenner is running. Yeah. Bruce Jenner. Yeah. And, and, and not just that Bruce Jenner's there, but you're now going to compete against Bruce Jenner, and he's already known as one of the top decathletes in the world. In, in the world, not just our he's country. He's in the top 10 even then. Okay. I just need to interrupt. I just want to make sure I was on track with that. Okay, go ahead. Tell now, us about this. Full disclaimer the 400 
was not his best event. Okay. How Just, can you be Bruce Jenner and there isn't a? I mean, really, I uh, thought every uh, event was okay. good for Bruce Jenner, but well, okay, he, he wasn't bad. But okay. <laughs> you have to remember, he originally went to college on football scholarship. Oh, I don't think I yeah. knew that. So, little little trivia there. Okay, for you. very cool. So, my goal is to stay as close to him as I can, as long as I can. The race starts. We're going around the first turn. I'm on the first backstretch. We're probably 150, 160 yards in the race. And I'm actually staying behind him. And that's when my mindset kicked in. I went, oh, the heck with it. I'm never going to run this race again, ever. I'm through high school. I'm going to pass him and stay ahead of him as long as I can. And I'm not looking back. <laughs> and so on that backstretch, I still get adrenaline rush right now. I'm ready. Can we go run right now? <laughs> We, <laughs> I, I don't have the right shoes, I don't think. I'll have to beg. Hey, John, I'll bet John you could, could go John, run with you want with to go run with me real quick? Uh, you know, I would run in a long time. Give me a bit to stretch here. All right. <laughs> stretch out the hammies and then we'll go. And, I'm gonna, and I am just going to stay. And I'm not going to look back. I mean, I'm just going to go and see what happens. And so I did that. I shot past him and I just ran for everything I was worth. And I did not look back. I went around that last turn. I came into the home stretch. There's like 80, 90 yards to go. I'm dying, but I am not looking back and I'm not going to slow down. And I crossed the finish line. He not only did I beat him, I ran it in 49 plus seconds. The only time I ever broke 50 seconds and over two seconds faster than I'd ever run it in my life. All because you had that goal. Yeah. And it's just like that goal was there. And, and, I thought at that point, talk about a once-in-a-lifetime experience, I knew then that probably was it for me. I'm 18 years old, and it's over. I'm done. That's it. But you know what? I have always had a really positive attitude and a positive mindset. And we're all going to have things that are going to happen to us that are bad, Yeah. that we don't want. But remember, the next choice you make can change that. When you think about... And again, I'm a financial advisor, so I, I got to think in terms of money. But we've all learned about compound interest, right? Mm -hmm. You invest now and then you make money over time because of compound interest. There's the old rule of 72, right? If you make 10% a year and you take 72, it'll take 7.2 years to double. If you make 6%, it's going to take 12 years to double. Compound interest. Guess what? Compounding works in your life. If you make a, a good decision, you're not going to get immediate feedback from that decision. You're not going to know, aha, I made a great decision. It's going to be compounding. You're going to be patient. You're going to see in hindsight that that was a great decision. That's, that's the key, I think, to having multiple once-in-lifetime experiences in all areas of your life. So <clears throat> you had me right up to that P word, patience. That's the kicker, isn't it, it is. really? I mean, I think um, I think we can all go back to a time when we had a, a yes or a no type scenario that was pretty significant. Um, and at that point, of course, it's just like you explained. I'm, I'm I got nothing to lose. It's the I got nothing to lose thing, which is kind of a cool place to be. The I got nothing to lose place. But patience is the thing that gets in our way, don't you think? Oh, it absolutely does, yeah. because we we want we want things like now, oh. and we want things to happen right away. And so it's a natural inclination 
that if it doesn't happen right away or we don't get the result we wanted right away, then it's like, oh, that didn't work. Let's let's go on. Let's try something new. And one of the things that I think I want to talk about in our next segment is is certain clues that we all have that we may not be aware of that will help us make those decisions, maybe not perfectly, but better decisions. And so I think it's a good time to, right now to let's let's take a quick break and we'll be back shortly. Welcome back to Beyond Dollars and Cents. Uh, my name's Lyle Bolin and, and glad to have you along for the ride here today. I, I think I kind of left you with a teaser there a minute ago. And and so one of the things I wanted to to kind of move into, um, although uh, John, you were dying to ask me a question when you when we went to break. You yeah, to... you were talking about how a Bruce Jenner, you raced Bruce Jenner at, at some point, during, you know, I guess post uh, post high school, and, and you ended up kicking his butt. And I'm wondering, do you ever wish that he was there for the other races? Maybe you know, you'd have been uh, racing for Iowa University, maybe. Uh, no. Yeah, okay. <laughs> <laughs> that would have never happened again. Fair enough. <laughs> that would have never. Did happened. you get a picture with him so you could like? I no, don't know. I didn't. Oh man. You know, and the, here's the funny thing. Let me let me hit one more track example. Okay. Two months earlier, in April, are the Drake relays. So there's universities from all over. You have independent races. It's one of the top. Re- if you're a track fan, you know the Drake relays. And so they have high school divisions. And in high school back then, they only had like three events that they would run. They would run the mile, they would run the two mile, this was before metric again, and they would have the high jump and the long jump. Well, I I mentioned in the last segment that there were three of us that were best friends. And one of them was a miler, one of them was a two miler, I was a quarter miler, which they didn't have, but I also was a high jumper. And I qualified for the high jump for the Drake Relays my senior year. Now, I didn't come nowhere near winning that one, by the way. And I didn't have any Fosbury flop to look up to try to beat, okay? Because right. Bruce Jenner wasn't high jumping that day. Yeah. That's <laughs> right. But I got there. Well, the beauty of this is, is if you make it in high school events, you can be on the track both days of the relays. And so the three of us were just out there jogging with whatever sort of great athletes were there at this meet. Two of the runners that were running the three and the six mile, again, not the 5K and the 10K, mm-hmm. Somebody you may not have ever heard from, his name was Jack Batchelor. He was one of the best runners at six foot six that you ever saw because distance runners are normally five eight or shorter. Sure. The other one that was from the Florida Track Club that ran at this Drake Relays was Frank Shorter. Wow. Who also won Olympic gold. And he and Frank, Frank and Jack were both there running. And so all three of us guys would just follow them all around the track as they were doing their warm-up laps. Groupies. Groupies. Runner groupies. Track track groupies. So Wow. So and I wasn't sure I would ever top that, much less, you know. So so anyway, no, I don't want to run Bruce ever again. <laughs> Here's the other thing. We tend to get fooled by randomness. And that messes up with when we make choices. You'll see things that that really are truly random. But if something happens like one after the other after the other, our brains are geared to think that there must be a pattern there. We, we, we love to see patterns. We do. Love, it's, it's, we find comfort in that, right? Exactly. Yeah. We love to see that. Now, I may talk about this a little later, but 
a, a quick example I like to give on an analogy on this is that, again, I originally studied physics, was my original major going way back. And one of the things that still is unanswered now is this whole idea of dark energy, right? The dark light. And, and if we look at the universe now, we can explain about 5% with the light that we see. And there's about 95% that we know is out there, but we don't see it. And nobody's been able to track it down yet. Well, my analogy is on this is that of everything that's thrown at us every single days of our life, 95% of it is noise. That's the dark energy that we don't really understand and that we shouldn't be messing our time with. 5% of it has meaning. That's kind of scary, isn't it? And we've got to filter, learn to filter out the noise and get at what the truth is. Well, that's the whole thing with randomness. Now, I'll come back to that later, but, but let's use that to segue into this idea on randomness. I also love to play basketball. I loved basketball. And there was a study that came out in the mid-'80s with some absolutely top researchers in the world that said hot streaks and shooting in basketball was a myth. It didn't exist. And they got all of this data from, uh, I forget which, I think it maybe have been the Philadelphia 76ers and maybe a couple of other colleges. And they looked at all of the data of every shot taken. And they analyzed it once anybody had made three in a row, were they more or less likely to make the fourth than just at random? And their study found out that no, it was random. There's no such thing as a hot streak in basketball. All right. I don't know how many of you out there have played basketball. John, I don't know if you ever played much basketball. I played recreationally, but I do that like counts. the sport of basketball. That yeah. counts. Or if you've watched a lot of basketball, mm-hmm. you know and I know there are hot streaks in basketball. 100%, yeah. I don't care what that research is. Yeah, there's a reason why Steph Curry pulls up from like 30 feet outside the arc and just puts one up. It's exactly. Call, this is like not a, a random yeah. event. <laughs> this is not a random event. And, and here's the thing. Here we went, the study went so far the other way to try to show that here was something that was random that really isn't. And their mistake was, is they didn't delineate whether these shots occurred at the end of a game, at the end of a quarter, was there timeouts, was it, you know, when was it in the game? They didn't break out when a hot streak actually occurs, which any of us know, it's when you're on the floor in the middle of a, of a flow, that's when it happens. If there's a timeout or a substitution, the next time you come in... It starts over again. It starts over yeah. again. Yeah. But none of their data distinguished that. And so they got results and applied a result based on their bias, based on the data that didn't really pick up what a, what a streak really was. Now, at the time, I was annoyed in 85, but I wasn't going to do anything about it. I was in grad school at the time. I have seen in the last five years studies that have come out now showing why that the that flaws has re- refuted in that study, that. and there really are hot streaks. But again, you can be fooled by randomness, and those that make that point can go to the other extreme and actually find things that have meaning and convince you because of biases that we all carry that it really is random. What I want you to do as you go through life in whatever discipline you're in and in whatever you're thinking about, is really critically think about what you're, what you're hearing 
Because you know innately from your from your personal experience, you're going to know if that really is something I need to think about. Is this really something that's true, or is this something that's random? Is this something that's noise? And so that that to me was one of those great examples of you know in, it's it's like investing theories. I, that what I did in grad school, there was all this talk about different theories of when money could be made, and I'm not going to bore you with those details today, other than say. Several faculty members around the country got great tenured jobs because of how they data mined the data that was available out there to show that there were all these wonderful anomalies, right? Mm. The problem is, is that none of those existed in the way that you would ever actually make a trade. And so, again, it was something that they applied an anomaly to that any practitioner that was trading on Wall Street knew was baloney. It, you couldn't physically so no, do that. No practical a- application right. is right, essentially what you're saying. Right? I, I, I hate to get into the weeds. Let me let me give you one easy example. Good, easy's good for me. It's, it's called <laughs> it's called a small firm effect. And again, this goes back to the '80s, so none of this applies to investing today at all, right? But it it, it illustrates this point of what would happening. The data back then had an example of where. They used what was called the Center for Research of Security Prices that was gathered at the University of Chicago, and it's the holy grail of data for finance. And they would go out and they would analyze this, all these returns and look for anomalies like this. What the data would give you would be the last trade of the day. And under normal circumstances, there's a 50-50 chance that that was either a buy or a sell. So let me give you just an average small firm back then the average price was $5 a share. If you were going to buy it, you'd pay 5 If you were going to sell it, you'd sell it at about $4.50. Back then, there would have been a $0.50 cent difference between buying and selling. That's a 10% spread. spread. Mm-hmm. Okay? Well, because of the way tax laws are written, at the end of the year, a lot of people would be selling those small firms that had a loss, and then in January, they would buy them back. So the last trade of the year would be three-fourths sell and only one-fourth buy. And so the price that would be reported on that stock would be like $4.80, right? Or if I'm sorry, they were selling, so they'd be like $4.60. Right. Because almost, you know, almost all of them were sales. And then in January, when they looked at the first reporting date, almost everybody was buying, buying them back. Five bucks. And so you'd see like $4.80. Oh, okay. Well, what's a 20 cent return on about a $5 purchase is 4% return. That's what they would see in the database. Okay. And, and guess what their test results showed? I was shocked to read that they were showing a 4% return on the first <laughs> trading day in January. <laughs> now, some poor soul that actually read the boring report in a in the journal of financial economics which only 30 people read anyway would have looked at that and said i'm going to make that trade so they went out <laughs> they bought the stock at five dollars on the last day of december and they turned around and bought it back at four dollars and fifty cents and lost fifty cents on the trade that looked like they should have made four percent don't get fooled by randomness uh, I, i'm sorry i get a little wound up there but this is probably a good time to take another break We'll be back to Beyond Dollars and Cents in just a minute. Welcome back again to Beyond Dollars and Cents. 
Uh, glad to have you along today. Again, my name's Lyle Bolin, and I'm, I'm glad to have you along for the ride. And uh, hope you've been listening and hope you've been enjoying the, the thought. And I hope it's making you think. Oh, it's making me think. But every time I, you know, I, I have the pleasure of working with you. So three minutes with you is like a lifetime of learning, I swear. I, you know, and I'm a cop- that boring. No, uh, no, no, no. There are so many stories. I mean, it's just fabulous. So, no, you're making me think. And, and one of what I want you out there thinking about today is what is your story? What is your story and how do you share it? Because we're not meant to live in isolation, right? I want you to have a good mindset, but what good is that mindset if the only one you ever use it on is you? You're here to, you're here in essence, in my belief, Mm -hmm. to serve others. And And through serving others, you're going to be successful. You're going to work in a community. You're going to work in an organization. You're going to work in your family. And, And those are the sort of things that, again, getting back to having the right mindset and that yes, no decision is going to make a difference. I want to go back to where I was talking about the filtering the noise and the true meaning. If I can step back into that for just a minute and put a little different twist on it. The last 20 years, there has been a tremendous amount of literature about being a leader, how important it is to be a leader. Everybody needs to be a leader. Everybody needs to strive for that. Now, maybe you could tell from the tone of my voice, (laughs) I may not have that exact opinion, and it is my opinion, But here's my analogy. What I think makes a good manager is a manager, he or she has the ability to notice that there's 95% noise. As you learn a skill, as you learn your career path, no matter what that path is, you start to learn what's noise and what's not. That makes you a good manager. It does not make you a good leader. A good leader knows what to do with the 5% that's important. That's interesting. And the area of your expertise is where you should strive to be a leader. Don't try to be a leader in an area that's not where you're being called to be a leader. That's a nice way of putting it the way I would normally put it, which is stay in your own lane. Yes. Yeah, right? We all have areas of expertise. Mm-hmm. We all do. And, and those are the ones that you want to learn What's important and what do you do with that? That's what makes a great firm. I, I love, there's this this great statistical thing called regression to the mean, okay? Regression, regression to the regression mean. Regression to the mean. Okay. That's, that, yeah, that's, a, actually, it's just the opposite of regression to the happy, okay? Mm. It's regression <laughs> to the mean. Is, okay. Is, okay. So whatever that average is, you're going to eventually go back to an average. That's, that's kind of the philosophy. <laughs> so one of the things... Great study, and I love him. Jim Collins, every bestseller, made a lot of money on his built to last, and a lot of great books along the way, right? But uh, the irony is, is all of those companies that they have identified that excelled over this period they did their study, all underperformed those that had done the worst in their study over the next ten years. Really? And guess why? They regressed to the mean. They had made lucky decisions for a long time, but. But those are luck more than skill, and we apply skill to things that are really luck. Think about the randomness. We apply things that were random, and we impute that it must have meaning. So if somebody has three or four great years, they must be really smart. But those often are just random occurrences. And those that have had two or three really bad years in a row, that was random. doesn't mean they're awful. 
And so those that have had really stop and take time to learn from their mistakes. And then they make better decisions than those that all of a sudden decide, gee, I am, I am as smart as everybody says I am. I'm, I can't ever make a bad decision again. And they regress to the mean. Yeah. It's kind of like a, in sports when you think of like, you know, quarterbacks, like you have a quarterback that's like statistically average for like the first four years of his career. All of a sudden he's an MVP guy. You're like, oh, wow, this guy must be the greatest ever. And the next year he goes back to being, you know, average or even worse. You're like, wait a second, wait a second. And that's, it, you know, yes. that's, that's the only reason I know regress to the mean. No, but it's but it's absolutely true. I I, I think back to uh, everybody remembered. I don't know how many of you remember Kurt Warner. Absolutely, sure. Yeah. All right, I knew Kurt Warner. Okay, that <laughs> is starting not, to be a theme here. That's where he left the track meet with Bruce Jenner. He went to the <laughs> well, local party. I, he wouldn't know me. Now I actually do have a picture with him, but I don't. He wouldn't say that he, that he knows me, but. When he played football at the University of Northern Iowa, I was a professor there, and I did a lot with the athletes. I've just always done a lot with sports athletes. It's just because I love sports. And um, I also, uh, while I was there, worked for a grocery chain that I that's mentioned. High V is the name of a great chain in the Midwest. Uh, Kurt for Warner those of you in Florida, groceries there, right? yeah. For those of you <laughs> think think Florida, think Publix. That's how, what High V is in the Midwest. Well, Kurt Warner worked at one of the high V's part-time when he was going to college I love this story. at Northern Iowa. Now, he was great in college, but the I-will-keep-unnamed football coach at the time was very loyal to his seniors. And everybody on campus knew that Kurt was better than the senior that they played, but he never played Kurt until his last year in college. So Kurt only had one year at a Division one AA back then, mm-hmm. Now it's the championship to get recognized. Sequence, to get recognized. And so he ended up playing arena football, and nobody figured how could he really be that good until he had his chance. That's right. And if you had just looked at his data up until that point, he wasn't a particularly good quarterback. Mm-hmm. But he learned his skill because he knew where he wanted to go. He had the mindset that he was better than what it was. And so when he played in arena football that nobody paid any attention to, he honed his skills to be an NFL quarterback. That was his mindset. And he did it, and he excelled. Everybody has an area like a Kurt Warner had, that you can have that mindset to learn what's important in all that noise that's out there to excel in your area. And don't try to be what you can't be. He didn't try to be an offensive lineman. Right. Mm-hmm. He didn't learn the blocking. He learned to be the ultimate passer in an NFL pass scheme. And he did it really, really well. And that sort of example is something that I think each and every one of us can do in our field, no matter what it is. And if you do that, think about the impact you have on your coworkers and on every customer that you have, you're, whether you're a financial advisor whether you're in marketing, whether you're working in the local church, if you think of your job as I am a permanent apprentice, I am always learning from somebody that's gone before me or that somebody I'm looking up to now, and I have an apprentice attitude. I like to think that you should think of yourself as an apprentice, 
not as somebody out there seeking a mentor. I love this conversation. I'm glad you're sharing this with the audience today because you and I had that. And I'm and I am reading I'm reading Chuck McDaniel's book, John. He walked yeah. me out to the car after our podcast and he actually had a copy. Oh and, yeah, yeah. And um and I where I'm just in the chapter where he's talking about mentoring. And so I digress. You please share with the rest of our listeners. Well, before we move on, where can they find that, uh, that episode of the podcast, by the way? Is that going to oh, be Oh, you know something? That will be on the radio January. We're already booked through now. I guess they're just going to have to come to elleninvestments.com, mm-hmm. and they will have to look for blogs and podcasts mm-hmm. under Beyond Dollars and Cents. And I know when you get a chance to hear this that it will be out there posted for you to go listen to. So it'll be absolutely it'll it'll, it'll be great timing. That's right. I yeah. figure we do a little bit of the shameless self promotion. Thank you. We yeah, should. Yeah. John yeah. is really good at that shameless. <laughs> I, I I tell the the podcasters to do it, and I don't even do it. And I hate, shroud of shame right now. I'm wearing it. Well, you know, you. John, you have just been the epitome of going beyond dollars and cents. I try. You, know, you do. <laughs> That's why he's the superstar producer. I'm if, telling you. If I'm ever, if I ever have a third career, I want to apprentice under you, John. Okay, I'll, I, give me about an afternoon. I'll teach you everything I know. <laughs> right after you yeah. two do that run. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but you know what? I'm still lacing up. By the way, I'm going to give a, I'm going to, I'm going to give you a little peek into the next segment. What you do intuitively now is because of your years of experience of doing that. And I'm going to talk about the importance of that and and the subconscious and why that has an impact. But I really think we get mentoring backwards now and then. Yeah. Because you're always, if it, I'm, let's say if I'm always looking for a mentor, I'm making it about somebody else doing something for me. Mm-hmm. If I think of it as an apprentice, then I am absorbing from somebody else. Now they become a mentor. But I'm not searching for a mentor. It's not what they're going to do for me. It's what do I do for them and how am I learning what I need to know? And is this, most importantly, is this an area that I should have my expertise or not? And so as as you think about mentors, I think we've sort of become what is somebody going to do for me? Not intentionally, mm-hmm. but unintentionally. Now I'm trying to you know, push off that responsibility of once I get a mentor, they're going to pour into me. No, I've got to be the one that wants to do that. And so as, as we kind of come to the end of this session, as you think on the break, I want you to think about, depending on where you are in life, where can you apprentice and where can you actually serve and mentor? Because I think that's an important concept that we each have to understand and we're all going to need to do both of those as we go through life, it's the one and zero. Yes, we're going to mentor. Zero, we're going to listen and learn. We're going to take a quick break. We'll be back with Beyond Dollars and Cents in just a minute. Welcome back to Beyond Dollars and Cents. This is Lyle Bolin, a financial advisor at Allen & Company. And, and I hope you've been enjoying the ride today as we've talked about the importance of mindset, making good decisions, all of the the sort of things that no matter where you are in life, no matter what age you are, where you are in a corporation, or where you are in school, or where you are retired, what can you do to make good decisions going forward and have an impact? And in the last section, 
John was sort of making fun about that in one afternoon he could teach me everything that I need to know if I wanted to be his <laughs> apprentice. Well, part of that comes from his experiences that he's developed an intuition for this. And I want to give you an idea. This is, this is a real example of something that was an extremely dangerous situation that happened a number of years ago now. There was a firefighter a captain that went into this building because they knew there was a fire somewhere, but they, they couldn't really identify it. And when he went in, there wasn't any smoke. They were, they were in the kitchen. There was no smoke. It, there was not even a lot of heat. It didn't, it was like it, something wasn't right. Now, if you've just had your training, your normal training has sort of taught you to do everything that you're supposed to do as a firefighter, and there was no indication of imminent danger. But there was something that did not feel right to him. And to this day, he's never been able to put a finger on what it was other than he had this terrifying thought that there was about to be some sort of that a lot of danger, whether it was an explosion or whatever. He just he knew it. He knew it with the very fiber of his being. And he took his whole team and he rushed him out of that building, even though from their training. There would have been no reason to do that. Within a minute of exiting that building, something in the basement exploded and destroyed the entire house. Now, there is nothing in his training that would have accounted for that. But most behavioral scientists have said that is something that you have innately gotten now through intuition is what it's called. I think, now again, I'm, I'm a religious person, so you'll have to kind of bear that in mind with my example, but I think there's always sort of something outside of time, whether you want to call it a Holy Spirit or if you just want to call it something that you can't think about in sort of in the reality, that if we're paying attention to because of our experiences in that area, we get that quote-unquote intuition. Now, he knew something wasn't right. Maybe it was that his feet were hotter than the rest of his body. He felt the heat in the floor. Who knows? He, he never was really able to put that on it. But, but this is somebody that is the example of that true expert, true leader that I was referring to in the previous session. And that firefighter has now learned to subconsciously, quickly sort through the noise and identify what really mattered. And so that, that is an example to you that whatever your area is, that's the level of expertise that I want for you in your life. Wow. I mean, that, I guess when you put it, use that kind of an analogy, that's pretty, I mean, that's a life and death analogy it is. too, it though. Is. But, you know, oftentimes those are the ones that it takes to register And you And it was like, because you've taken the time to be that apprentice, to go up the ranks and learn and really become an expert as this individual was, they get, they get that immediate feedback just from what they've done. They know immediately they filtered out. There's something here that's really important and everybody else is missing it. The voice within. The Some voice people within. Will call the voice the within. Voice within. Mm -hmm. The voice within. So having told you now that, that I, that I tend to be, I tend to be fairly religious, uh, let me give you an example out of the Old Testament on why, and I'm going to pick on marketing, and I'm going to pick on the media here a little bit. I apologize. Perfect. 
Wow. Pick, pick yeah, on, yeah, pick on, pick on I, John first I so I can I'm, figure I'm gonna, out where I'm, you're going. I'm make, make sure John follows on this. But it's, it's the tendency is that when we hear things over and over, even though we might think initially we know that there makes, doesn't make any sense, that's probably a lie, that's probably not true. But if you hear a lie often enough, you, you have to start thinking part of that's true. That's why I tell people on the air all the time, I'm good at my job. And then it's, I've got Robin believing in me. Oh, I so. believe it. Even yeah. Chad does. I, I mean, yeah. what does Chad has a really spectacular name for you? Mm-hmm. I mean, seriously. Yeah. Holly does too, come yeah. to think of it. Mm-hmm. Look at, you, we're, we yeah. bought it. We bought it. You bought in? Okay. We have right. bought in. Well, tell the lie often enough, baby. If, if you followed much of the Bible at any point in your life, you know David, pretty sharp guy, right? David had his flaws, but he was a pretty sharp guy. Well, one of his sons, Absalom, really wanted to have the throne, and he was preparing to attack Jerusalem. And David got the heck out of Jerusalem. Now, little backstory here, real quick. David was best friends with Jonathan, who was Saul's son. And Saul was the one that was continually trying to kill David because David was going to take over for Saul. And I won't get worried with all the backstory there. But, but David's now on the throne. Jonathan's been murdered along with Saul. And one of Saul's servants has the simple name of Ziba. Now, Ziba was told to now take care of Mephibosheth, which was one of Jonathan's sons that that had a lot of disabilities. And David had, when this all happened, had said, you know, are there any children of Jonathan left that I can bless? And Mephibosheth was the one. Well, now David's getting the heck out and Mephibosheth can't flee with him. So he sends Ziba, his quote unquote faithful servant, loads up the donkeys, loads up the goods and the food and everything that David may go and tells Ziba, here, this is for David, tell him I can't be here, but I will await your return. And off he goes. Now, guess what Ziba told David? David says, well, where's Mephibosheth? Well, he's staying back. He's waiting for Absalom to come back in. He's waiting for Saul's kingdom to be blessed again. He had nothing to do. I am your faithful servant. I brought this back to you. He's, you know, Mephibosheth, boy, he's, he's turned, turned coat gone. Well, let's fast forward a little bit. Again, I won't ruin all the stories in here if you want to go back and read them, but David's back in Jerusalem. Absalom's not a danger. And Mephibosheth, in the Jewish tradition, has done all of those things that when somebody went in exile that would have shown he was loyal. He didn't cut his hair. He didn't trim his nails. He, and all of those things that in Hebrew tradition would have shown he was loyal to his king. And so now David asks Mephibosheth, why did you not come? And he says, well, Zeba lied to you. I sent, I'm the one that sent all this to you. Well, here's, here's my point of my story here. When, when he found Mephibosheth before he fled, he said, I want everything that would have been Saul's land to go to Mephibosheth. It is all his land, all of the, all of those things that I want him to have forever. And I want to bless him to sit at my table. So what had happened when Ziba told him that Mephibosheth had lied and was with him all this time and was feeding him all of these stories, he said, well, all that was Mephibosheth is now yours. I can't believe I ever gave that to that unloyal person that should have been grateful. And so now David believed that. He gets back, Mephibosheth, Mephibosheth shows him the truth, 
shows him all the external things, David now realizes that Ziba has lied to him all of this time. So now my question in ending here today is what did David do when he found out Mephibosheth was telling the truth? We all know he gave everything back to Mephibosheth, right? He saw the wrong. Yeah. Not if you go back and read. He said, well, the two of you split it up between you. David had heard a lie so many times, even David thought part of it must be true. As you think back on these things in your life, think about these sort of situations. It's been a pleasure for me to share some time with you today. And here's how I want you to think about me. When you go into an alley, it can be a dark alley or it can be well lit. I want Boland's Alley to be a well lit alley for you so you can have a better life beyond dollars and cents. Thank you. The opinions voiced in this podcast are for general information only and are not intended to provide specific advice or recommendations for any individual. To determine which strategies or investments may be suitable for you, consult with an appropriate qualified professional prior to making a decision. Guests appearing on the show and their respective companies are not affiliated with LPL Financial and Allen & Company. Investment advisory services offered through Allen & Company of Florida, LLC, Allen & Co., and its affiliate LPL Financial, LLC, LPL, registered investment advisors. Securities offered through LPL member FINRA SIPC.